If you've ever tried to get your client's Stripe, Square, or PayPal transactions into QuickBooks or Xero, you've probably pulled your hair out a few times trying to get the income and fees recorded correctly so the deposit amounts match the bank statement. Did you know you could be using Cinder to automatically do this for you? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Cinder, later in this episode. Yeah, so Square's going to purchase about 2 million customers, tax customers, right? Now, one question I have, it's only $50 million. That's the value of the biz- that line of business? Like, why didn't anybody else buy this? Like, it seems like a deal of the century. Well, just the right? customer right. list alone, right? Just the customer list alone, right? And yeah. and you're getting people that are already in that credit karma frame of mind. They care about personal finances. There's just a lot of reasons to possibly buy this. Well, now, okay. Here's here's the counterpoint to that. Maybe it's because the people using credit karma to file the taxes don't have any money because they're using a free tax prep software. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Clockchart. Now more than ever, your clients with teams in the field are looking to reduce contact and automate their manual paperwork processes. The team at Clockchart has been busy scrambling to keep up with demand by helping accountants move clients from frustrating paper timesheets to their much-loved mobile time tracking app. Even with this increased demand, Clockchart continues to provide fast and delightful support. They're actively working with accountants and bookkeepers to implement product feedback and improvements to their already robust app that includes features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing, locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting. To try the timesheet app that's taken over the title for best customer support, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clockchart. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is a top-rated payroll app that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. OnPay brings everything together in the cloud and can handle all the complicated stuff like agricultural payrolls, Form 943, multi-state, and H-2A visas. OnPay even makes it easy to switch from other payroll services by doing all the data entry for each client account that you set up. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of OnPay payroll services. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. How was your Thanksgiving, David? It's good. I have not been on a Zoom call for six straight days. Like, what more could I ask for? That sounds nice. Where are you were in Mexico? Drove down to Mexico. I got pulled over in Mexico. Oh. They were pulling everybody over. And it's kind of like, hey, we have your driver's license and you need to pay the fine at the police station, but you can't drive to the police station. So you kind of have to pay some cash right now. Oh, I One see. One of those type of things. You know, oh. you, you kind of, you make your donation and you move on <laughs> down the road. Uh, oh, that's that. interesting. That's never happened to me. Um, but there's internet there. You're not, you're not completely out of touch of the world, right? Right. Um, it, it's still connected. Um, you can do, do anything you want pretty much as far as from a work perspective. But I avoided, you know, really dialing in and connecting. So then you missed the uh, Amazon Web Services outage on Wednesday. Yes, because that would have been – I would have uh, probably been affected. I know that um, Milio runs on Amazon. I mean, a lot of the things we use run on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know really because um, I wasn't working too much on Wednesday. And uh, at Giraffe, I think we run on Azure, which is the Microsoft 
Cloud? Stack, okay. Yeah. So apparently this affected uh, Vonage, iTunes, Grubhub, um, Cal Edison, which is the electricity company Mm -hmm. in California, Square, Chime, one of those new banks we've talked about, Fidelity, Alexa, Spotify. So it affected a lot of things that day. I did see another article from Amazon. Apparently they were trying to do some sort of upgrade. They were adding additional servers. Well... Uh, it didn't seem to be too disruptive, so that's great. Um, what about your house that you have? Because like Amazon has all those things, like your little smart, uh, your smart, smart speaker, doorbell, doorbell, yeah, your smart Roomba. Like all those things were down. People couldn't back in their house. They couldn't. Yeah, honestly, I didn't really notice because like we didn't go anywhere. <laughs> we just we had a small Thanksgiving. We just went over to my parents. They're in our little family bubble, and yeah, so I was I was oblivious to it, other than the news reports. But I do have a ton of app news this week. I was surprised, actually, at all the news. Um, The Pentagon failed its annual audit again. Virtual HQs in cyberspace, I've got something to talk about there. And e-commerce, I think, is a a great topic given that it was just Black Friday. Let's talk about e-commerce and the trends there and what that means or what the connection is for accounting firms. Yeah, so I had some big news. Salesforce might buy Slack. Mm-hmm. Intuit's acquisition of Credit Karma has been approved. Yep. Because they sold the tax division to Square. So we can talk about that. That's other huge, huge news. Yeah. Uh, Stripe is looking to go take it on another round. Oh, I didn't know that. That's new. Possibly, oh. Yeah, possibly put their valuation. We'll talk, we'll discuss that when we discuss that, I guess. Um, what else did we get in here that's good? Uh, a little bit about super apps and this whole concept because I think it ties to some of these other stories. Is, well. by, when super apps, do you mean Zoom? Because no. that, that because I, cause Zoom ha- now has apps and there's speculation that Zoom is going to be the next big technology ecosystem like Salesforce was. So maybe we could talk about the Salesforce news next and kind of talk about this concept of super apps because we're seeing it. There's an article about Google and this comes from those uh, Chinese apps that are, it's it's like a chat app, right? But you use it to pay for everything. You use it to shop, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a super app. that's everything. So yes, we're seeing that from a banking perspective. For, like we've talked about the small businesses, you get your bank account. It does all these other things, but no, you, you're correct. Now with Zoom, I don't know. Did you have an article about Zoom? Yeah, yeah. App? So, so go ahead, jump in. Okay, so this was in TechCrunch, and the headline is, Will Zoom Apps Be the Next Hot Startup Platform? And there's not really that much there other than this idea that Zoom is really powerful technology. Everybody is using it now for everything, and they have opened up their API. I think we talked about this in the past to allow other apps to utilize Zoom's technology. So you could build some sort of app that has Zoom uh, video embedded in it, which like could be really powerful because when you're on Zoom all day, it makes sense for it to be integrated into whatever you're doing, whatever you know uh, solutions you're using. Uh, and so, like an example might be a virtual conference tool where a Zoom just like opens as soon as you enter the room for that session. So you don't have to like click a link and go out to Zoom. It's just in there. Um, and I, I think that's really powerful because building good video conferencing is insanely difficult, which is why Zoom has been so successful because they've cracked the code on that. Even and if it was built better into a calendar. If you, every, th- every time I go to launch a calendar appointment mm-hmm. with a Zoom, it opens a browser tab that when I'm done with the Zoom meeting, there's just this browser tab sitting open from Zoom because it's not integrated, right? right, right it it right, tosses yeah. you back to the browser. Yeah, there's, no, there's not a great Zoom integration, which is silly considering how much we use it. So I think if they do this, and they pull it off, then, you know, Zoom stock is already worth a lot. It's gone up a lot this year. 
And I think you'd see it go up again and again and again, because this is exactly what happened with cloud accounting. It was the ecosystem, right? David, like you were in the middle of all this as it was happening with QuickBooks, like QuickBooks Online, like nobody cared about QuickBooks Online until you guys built the marketplace. And once you could connect all these apps to it, all of a sudden it became way better. And even though it didn't have as much functionality as desktop, it was more powerful because of the ecosystem, because of the the choice you have and the ability to move data back and forth and all that. And if the same thing happens with video, then I mean, sky's the limit. Unless a big company like Salesforce decides they want to be the all-in-one platform for businesses. <laughs> well, yes. And so then, uh, please, let's talk about your story, the Salesforce uh, uh, Slack acquisition talks, right? Yeah. So, so doing a little research on this, it goes back a little ways. So some there was talk and chatter about this. Sorry, chatter is not the best word because Salesforce owns an app called Chatter. <laughs> Sorry. But there was speculation on this being a good target for Salesforce way back in August 2016 when they initially first announced that they were, they had an integration together. And then since 2019, Slack's been listed on the uh, Salesforce App Exchange, right? But Salesforce has been slowly building this stack because ultimately Salesforce, they only have like 50,000 paying customers, right? But look yeah. at, into it, right? There's five, six, seven, 20, 40 million small businesses around the world, right? Right, right, right. And Salesforce just can't crack that. So they bought Yammer, which now became Chatter, right? And then everybody hates it. Uh, it gets negative feedback. They own Quip, which is like a, a collaborative product to do documents and spreadsheets. Quip is like uh, Notion. That's what it reminds me of. Okay. You know, where it's yeah. like it's like a Google Doc on steroids. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like um, a no-code thing. They also own Work.com, which is a place to do collaborative work. And so now with them bringing in Slack, so a little bit – a lot of this is – a fight against Microsoft, but the reason it's motivating to Slack is because so Zoom had the huge benefit of the pandemic, and so did Microsoft Teams. But Slack, Slack grew. Don't get me wrong; a lot of people adopted Slack during the pandemic, but they did not see anything close to the growth that Zoom saw. Right? Yeah, and that's an interesting situation. Like, why didn't Slack grow more, given the growth of all the other cloud apps? Is it because it had already penetrated, you know, as far as it was going to go? is basically growth declining now for Slack. I have mixed feelings about Slack. We've talked about this before where I really don't think it's the end all be all. It has not reduced my communication overload, you know, and it's in the end, it's just a really well-built chat tool. It's, it's not with a bunch of integrations, right? It's nothing like mind blowing. Although I suppose I could say the same thing about Zoom just being video and you know, nothing really mind blowing, just having good video, but that in and of itself is very difficult. So Slack is in a vulnerable state, and it's mainly because of Microsoft Teams. When Microsoft Teams is free and built into Office 365, chat becomes a commodity. So how do you charge people 6 to $12 or more per month per user when they can just get it built into Microsoft, which is what you know, like 90% of businesses in this country use, it seems like. And that's what motivates, I think. So you have Slack, who's looking at Microsoft as a competitor. Salesforce definitely views Microsoft as a competitor, even things like Tableau. Salesforce owns Tableau. Microsoft owns their Power BI. Mm -hmm. Salesforce wanted to buy LinkedIn, but obviously Microsoft came in and purchased LinkedIn instead. So there's this jockeying back and forth between the two. And there's some other interesting numbers related to small businesses that made this really attractive for um, Salesforce. So there are some reasons Salesforce, because you know they want to go down market into small business and Slack's going to give them that. Right. Well, and that's the problem with Salesforce is the interface, right? Salesforce is what, 20 years old now? 
the interface is definitely not up to modern SaaS standards. It's pretty clunky. And that's it's also really powerful. So it kind of has to be. It's that's the price you pay, right? In enterprise software. It's and at a- some level, right, it is truly enterprise software, right? It's a VP oh, yeah. making the purchase. Slack in a way is very um homegrown. A lot of people a lot of employees of companies just started using Slack and then it worked its way up the ladder. Almost we talked about the Expensify model, get the employees to use it, and then it works its way up to a decision maker. Mm-hmm. Slack definitely grew that way. So so they're going to instantly, if they purchase Slack, they're going to instantly get 100,000 businesses right. that are already producing revenue. Salesforce is this amazing relational database. It's a CRM. That's what most people use it for. But you can use it for almost anything. And it's endlessly customizable and you can program it. And Slack is the interface. Slack is the ultimate way to interface with your data with all those integrations. So pair Slack up with Salesforce and you can suddenly access all this data in your awesome relational database and you can use natural language to search it, to add to it. Salespeople hate to go into the CRM. What if they could just do it in Slack? I probably paste links in Slack that are Salesforce links 20 times a day <laughs> in my normal day-to-day doing Melio stuff, right? So yeah. I, I totally see, yeah, it makes sense to have a deeper integration. The other uh, number that's going to be really interesting on this, so all of the 110,000 paying customers that have that use Slack, only 900 pay $100,000 or more a year. Basically, that tells, tells us Slack sucks at selling to enterprise. Yes. But now with Salesforce, they gonna, uh, the next time they re-up that contract, they're going to be able to go to the table and be like, hey, by the way, and we're going to put you on Slack and we're going to get another $250,000 out of that right. enterprise partner. Interesting. Well, so they haven't done it yet, right? They're just in advanced talks. That's the news. At least that's the last I heard. We, we might hear something next week. And then if we do, or I guess this week, depending on when we're recording here. And it looks like though, if so this does go down, it might be one of the biggest acquisitions ever. I think almost $34 billion, similar to the IBM acquisition of Red Hat in 2018. So you brought up Expensify. So I got to bring up the news that Expensify announced this week that they have surpassed $100 million in annual recurring revenue. And I wonder about the timing of this announcement, given everything that's been going on with the whole a vote for Trump is a vote against democracy email that David Barrett sent and all the political activism going on. Like, was this announcement going to happen anyway? Is this sort of a, hey, we got political and it didn't hurt us announcement? Is that what this means? That they were able to do that and they're still going to hit $100 million in annual recurring revenue? Or what would it have been? If they hadn't done that, right? How much business did they lose from that, if any? I wonder if we'll ever know. I mean, you're not paying on how many transactions you put through Expensify, right? If you're if you're a business user, right? You're paying on your employees' activity. So even though maybe your employees aren't traveling and there's not this tons of volume going through Expensify, if your employees are all filing one or two expenses for an at-home expense, like we talked last week, or working at home expense. You're still going to pay that subscription fee for that employee. And then maybe a lot of people are under contracts. Yep. I don't know. And then maybe after the first of the year, you know, maybe people are going to say, maybe nobody's going to travel in 2021. They pull the plug on it. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's This is recurring revenue for 2020. So, and they haven't actually surpassed it yet. They said they will surpass $100 million in annual recurring revenue in 2020. So, I guess they're very confident in that. Another interesting fact is they have raised only $20 million in primary capital since their founding in 2008. That is very impressive. And they have gotten to 100 million ARR, or they will get there by the end of the year, with only 
130 employees, which means that they are going to have revenue, annual revenue of $750,000 per year per employee, which is among the highest revenue per employee in the world. That's a lean and mean. Now, let's think about this another way. Uh, David Barrett is not a fan of Donald Trump. Is that fair to say, David? (laughs) Based on his email, you could say that, yes. Here's the thing, though. David Barrett, I'm going to make this argument. I'm going to double down on this. I think I've sort of said this in the past. David Barrett is responsible for the rise of Donald Trump. That's the irony of all this. Now, not directly, but the industry that he represents, technology. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm, 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 okay, I'm, stick with I'm me for a second. I'm trying to guess where you're going, and I, 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 I'm not seeing any path <laughs> here out of this. So all right. So, stick, stick with me, my crazy theory. So, what, what is responsible for the rise of a populist leader like Donald Trump, who appeals to a group of people that have felt neglected, working class people generally without college degrees? What has made them activate politically? over the last four, five, six years. Technology, I guess, right? Well, yeah. So, so a lot of people who support Donald Trump's vision for America, the Make America Great Again movement, feel that they have been left out of economic progress in this country. Like the middle part of America has been left behind, and the America that they live in now is not the America of, of our great golden heyday. Now, What has happened in a lot of these places that support Donald Trump is that their share of the economy has decreased to 30%. The counties that voted for Donald Trump represent 30% of our nation's economy. The counties that voted for Biden represent 70%. And yet we're talking a 50-50 split in terms of population. So you've got half the country with 30% of the pie, and you've got half the country with 70% of the economic pie. So my theory is that Really, ultimately, everything comes down to economics and people's paychecks. I mean, maybe that's just the accountant in me, but I really do feel like in the end, that is what motivates people most, uh, even though they'll say other things. So, you know, why are these counties that have become red voted for Trump? I mean, they were always pretty conservative, but they've really gone for Trump. Why did they do it? It's because of trends that started back in the 80s with outsourcing. And then have continued with automation, where middle class jobs are disappearing in this country, the hollowing out of the middle class. So if you have a college degree, that is no longer even a ticket to a middle class or upper middle class life. You've really got to hustle, right? You've really got to have skills. Just having a high school diploma used to be you could go get a job in the local factory and have a nice life, buy a house, have a car, go on a vacation. Can't do that anymore, right? Not not a reality that exists. And what happened? What made that happen? Disruption caused by technology. So the irony is that we've got a bunch of technology billionaires in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, <laughs> complaining about a problem that they actually created. You know, not individually, but collectively, it's techn- technological disruption is what has created and led to the rise of the uh, Make America Great Again movement. Well, I have bad news for you, Blake. <laughs> What's that? It's going to get worse. <laughs> oh, really? why is that? Why? It's, so I've, I have an article here. This is from the Business Review in Europe. It's Tudor, T-U-D-O-R, uh-huh. the virtual accounting robot launched by Connections. So Connections is a leader in uh, RPA. They are a UiPath Gold partner, and they do a lot of uh, robotic process automation 
for various industries. And UiPath, they're like the big one, one of the big three in, in RPA. Yeah. So, so in a way, like it'd be like if you were a, a Zapier expert, like, so these guys are expert on UiPath, use, utilizing and setting up, et cetera. So they've created uh, their Tudor Contabot was designed to perform tasks of a junior accountant. It can process timesheets, generate payroll statements, send them by email, generate POs, income statements, generate 112 statements, submit signs, receives receipts for tax returns, imports invoices issued by accounting firm, and the account of customer companies, enters invoices based on previous pieces of information in Excel, prints the monthly documents, generates reports at the end of the month. Mm, that sounds like an accountant's job. <laughs> But this is the best part. Wait till you read the quote from their CEO. He is the ideal colleague. He can work overtime. He doesn't ask for a vacation or coffee breaks. He is eager to learn new things. He is flexible and accepts new tasks with an open heart. Wow. So there it is. There's the automation, right? There's Jobs are going to be displaced by that company. And that's how they're going to sell it. And the best of all, he can work at any time yeah. and does not need to be supervised. We have a... It's the perfect employee. We're going to lose our listeners. <laughs> Only Tudor. We're going to have Tudor listening to us and that's it. Here's the thing. I, w- there's a lot of talk about automation, destroying jobs in accounting. And yes, that is happening. But I don't think our listeners are really at risk because they are on the forefront of technology. And as long as you're using the tools you're going to be okay. If you're the one setting up the app and you know how it works and you're the only one who can fix it, like you've got a job for the rest of your life, right? Well, they built this in six months. <laughs> Anybody could do this apparently. Well, hey, you six know, let's see how fun. it actually, let's see how it actually performs, right? Like that's a marketing pitch. I'm curious to see how it actually works, but I think that it will ultimately, eventually, right? It'll get better and better and better. And if, if that's what you're doing, if you're processing invoices from Excel, like that job's going to go away, just like with Expensify. So, you know, Expensify is making $750,000 in revenue per employee. How many jobs do you think that Expensify has destroyed, has made obsolete? I'm sure that there are many companies that bought Expensify and then now said, you know what, we don't really need this accounts payable clerk to process expense reports anymore because we're just doing it in Expensify and all of the managers are approving them and it's automatically getting reimbursed. And I imagine at a bigger company, there was a department. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, a team of 20 people possibly right. working on that. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, so this is great news for Expensify, but it's not exactly great news for the people who used to do that work. And, uh, you know, hey, when I had my own firm, I did outsourced bookkeeping. I have to say, David, that often I would go into proposals, meetings with potential clients, and they would frankly just tell me straight up, like, I want to eliminate this position. Can you do this? for me. And like, that's what I would go in and do. I would basically eliminate somebody's job with technology. And it's something that I think that a lot of people don't like to talk about in the tech world, especially when, you know, that's actually how we sell software a lot of the time is we say, or, or, or this is how we justify the software is we, we say, uh, okay, this position costs $80,000 a year on average, and our software costs $20,000 a year. So that's how we sell it right? That's the ROI. You're going to get 4X ROI in your first year. I mean, people do this all the time. So I get, I'm not saying it's bad. This is, this is disruption. This is going to happen. If we didn't do it, somebody else would do it. But I think we need to be aware of our role in all of this. And we are not innocent. And we need to do something about it. You know, it's, it's great that Expensify has this um, charity arm. But if you look at the kind of stuff that they do, it's like about feeding people who are homeless. Um, it's not about like creating jobs. And what they are doing is eliminating the jobs. And I would love to know what they're going to do to make more jobs. 
So I, I could speak specifically to Expensify on that. Sure. I know that Expensify, they opened, uh, I think Dave Barrett's hometown is in Michigan. I think it's in like, not the Mitten, but that other part, mm. which I don't think is like the greatest, does, doesn't have the greatest economic activity possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever whatever that upper part of Michigan is. Upper Peninsula? Get, I, I don't know. Upper Peninsula? I'm, I'm, I'm from the of, West Coast. I don't know this yeah, geography. I'm going to get a lot of, but anyways, <laughs> so he um, he created jobs in his old hometown apparently. For people that were unemployed, probably from the auto industry, et cetera. What kind were, of jobs? Uh, support jobs, uh, expensify jobs. Well, like but he's only got 130 employees. How many jobs could he create? I don't know on that. Like a dozen? Is, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking, pretty, we're talking, they probably, the they probably eliminated thousands of jobs. Good, good jobs. Anyway, I, I, I mean, possible. I think it's, it's nice. It's nice. And I'm not, I'm not blaming David Barrett or expensify. I'm yeah. just saying this is what. This is technology did this, okay? If if we hadn't progressed with technology, we'd still be in the same situation, right? We'd have a factory in every town. There'd you go and get a high school diploma and get a job there, right? The the globalization and the flattening of the world through technology means that a high school graduate can't compete anymore because they're up against somebody in China or in the Philippines or in Europe or in Africa or in everywhere. You've got no protection geographically anymore for your job. And this is what has inspired all of this hatred of otherness and other people, okay? It's like economic despair is what makes people latch on to racism and to xenophobia. It's the same thing that happened in the 1930s. It's, it, it's, it's history repeating itself. So if we don't do something about it, uh, we're going to have more of this. Like Donald Trump was not an aberration. He was a symptom of an underlying problem that we got to fix. We got to do but- something. But like, does something have to be fixed or is this just a normal market condition that will slowly change on its own? Just like when farming, like 98% of all of us used to be farmers. Right. Right. And then the industrial revolution came and now in a strange way, like the industry jobs are going away and there's right. the tech jobs right. oh, that are yeah. here. No, and in know? the in the big scheme of things, that was a great thing for society. But there are a lot of people who got, you know, disrupted during that and their lives were completely turned around. You know, it's like, so we can't lose sight of the impact it's having and not just if people are not numbers. Yes, the economy is growing. Automation ends up creating more jobs than it destroys in the end, but the growth is not evenly distributed. And the places that are benefiting the most are not the places that voted for Trump. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's like, let's have a little empathy for each other uh, in all this and understand like people have real reasons for voting the way they did. That's what I'm trying to inspire is let's actually try to understand each other. That's all. Oh yeah. There, there's 70 million people that voted for Trump. More people. The second, because of some of the reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he got the second most votes of any presidential candidate in history. So like, uh, you know, like try to understand why that happened. Uh, if we want to like move forward. So that makes sense. I will stop there. I'm done. I'm getting off my soapbox. Do you want to kind of get into app news since then it's just going to be a lot of big numbers, but I don't know if we're talking numbers, we could get into well, the big numbers. I'm feeling a little bit like revved up right now. So maybe we can talk about something outrageous. Can if I talk about something outrageous? I, I, I don't think I have anything in the outrageous category. Well, I mean, the Pentagon oversees $3 trillion of government spending and still can't pass an audit. Okay. Can you believe this? I mean, I guess we can believe this because we don't have a lot of faith in our institutions anymore, but- uh, you got to give them a break, I suppose, because their first audit ever was conducted in 2018, believe it or not. The first audit 
I guess, of the entire Pentagon. I think we, we, we talked about this in the podcast way back in the, yeah, the day. we did. And they failed that. I think it was one of our earlier episodes. Uh, they failed again in 2020. But the good news is the department's comptroller said on Monday that they think they can pass it by 2027. So, we have something to look forward to, David, when we're doing the podcast in seven years from now. 2027. I'm so, I, I just pulled up my hands to count. But it's, it is get, there a bet we can take on this? I, you know, um, I'm going to say, I mean, if I had to say yes or no, I'm going to vote no. I'm gonna, it's going to take longer, but I'm hopeful. That's all. That's what I got there. That's my outrage story. And now I'm sort of calming down. I'm feeling better. So maybe we can move to app news or something like that. Or we can talk about e-commerce and on Black Friday. Yeah, let's jump into e-commerce first. Let's talk about that. Okay. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Cinder. If you've ever tried to get your clients Stripe, Square, or PayPal transactions into QuickBooks or Zero, you've probably pulled your hair out a few times trying to get the income and fees recorded correctly so the deposit amounts match the bank statements so you can reconcile. Cinder automatically and accurately categorizes and posts these transactions into the accounting system. Cinder can sync all the necessary details like inventory items, tax, shipping, discounts, classes, locations. It even correctly handles the processor fees. With tools like duplicate detector and rollback functions, you can rest assured your client's books will never get messed up because you can undo and restore any sync data with literally one click. If you need support from Cinder, they offer free help using your favorite means of communication, be it chat, email, or phone. Try out Cinder for free. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Cinder. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-Y-N-D-E-R. Cinder, smart finance management for online businesses. Uh, did you know the Walmart here in Scottsdale is getting autonomous vehicle delivery next year? So you can, instead of you driving there to pick something up, somebody's going to be put in a car without a driver and it's going to be delivered to your house. Yes. And that will actually be possible. Like the Walmart here, 10 minutes away from me, is going to start delivering packages to residents using autonomous cruise vehicles. Cruise is a subsidiary of General Motors that has been testing in Arizona since 2016. Apparently in Arizona, to test an unmanned vehicle, all you've got to do is file a statement with the Department of Transportation that the vehicles can follow traffic laws and can safely come to a stop if they experience a malfunction. So I guess that's why we've got a lot of you know drone vehicle testing going on because it's pretty easy to get a permit. Well, it's also... The entire city of Phoenix is laid under. For those of you listeners that don't know about the city of Phoenix, it's laid out in a perfect one mile square grid pattern. So there's not many turns. There's no streets that are one way. There's not a lot of streets where maybe it's low clearance for your vehicle. The city itself is maybe 75, 80 years old. So it's not like a city of London where it's very hard to build autonomous vehicles and have them drive around that city. Humans can barely drive around that city, right? But yes. This is why it's very easy and it's super straight roads. But until they can do it successfully in Phoenix, it ain't happening anywhere else. To quote King of the Hill, this city should not exist. It is a monument to man's arrogance. I don't know if you ever watched that show. No, but it's a good yes. one. Uh, and familiar with that. And I agree. <laughs> there, there's no water. <laughs> it's amazing. No- it's a city built in the middle of the desert with no water. And it gets like 120 degrees every summer. And we expect that this is like we're supposed to be able to live here. 
That's it's great. The, it's the Hoover Dam. That's, That's why. Right. Let's jump into app news, maybe. Okay. Well, no, no. There, I oh, had no. somewhere I was going with oh, that. So, oh, sorry, sorry. There's sorry. a reason that I brought the drone delivery. Oh, I just thought you were excited about delivery. <laughs> so, so it's because e-commerce is doing great, right? Gangbusters. Like this is no surprise to anyone. Uh, a recent survey by consulting for McKinsey found that about three out of four people have tried a new shopping method due to coronavirus. And that more than half of all consumers intend to continue using curbside pickup and grocery delivery services after the pandemic is over. Nearly 70% of consumers surveyed intend to continue buying online for store pickup. That's according to a story that I spotted in the Wall Street Journal and fits in with this idea that this is not going back to normal. Behavior has changed permanently. And so people are going to expect to continue to work remotely in a hybrid way, perhaps they're going to continue to buy online. I mean, e-commerce went from being like a 10% kind of thing, 10% of shopping to like, it's getting up to 20%. That's huge. I mean, this is major now. So anyway, it's just the, the economy has changed permanently forever. Like people, once you get used to this, you're not going back. Like my, my wife started using the, uh, the order online and then drive up to the store and they put it in your trunk. And then you drive away thing, yep. the curbside pickup. And she's like, why would I ever go into the store again? This is amazing. I love this. I'm just going to do it forever. And I've even noticed even at places like Home Depot, the whole front section is just roped off of where, they, where they've picked goods off the shelves and they have them ready to go in, in bins Oh yeah, for, for when customers show up. I'm actually surprised how many people are using that at a place, even for Home Depot type stuff. Oh, I'm not surprised because 90% of the time that I spend in a Home Depot is wandering around looking for something or somebody to help me find something. That's the best part of going to Home Depot. <laughs> Come on, Blake. You should find enjoyment in this. I, I, even if I went like every week, I wouldn't be able to find anything. It's hopeless, man. So oh, I'm going to have yeah. to take you to Home Depot once, one of these days. Come to Phoenix and take me to Home Depot and then we'll go have a beer. I think that would be a great afternoon. And we'll get an Uber without a driver. We'll get a, yes, there you go. Um, okay, so that's it for my e-commerce story. Let's talk about the apps. All right, so we can continue on with about app news, starting with people impacted by e-commerce. So quick uh, little about a round of news, Stripe. Everybody use everybody. It's that whole app. Everybody uses it. They don't use know they're using it when they're buying things. Online. Credit card processor. Yes, easy to integrate. Uh, yep, and and they're really going head to head now with Square and PayPal. They're really going, and so they're going out for another round of uh, investment capital. It's just and like their Series G or something. I mean, they've been around for a while, right? And they're probably going to be valued between seventy to a hundred billion dollars. Wow, it would well, be the most valuable venture backed startup ever in this country of all time. So, so they're doing really well there. And then kind of going back to your fact about the world has changed, right? So Toast, are you familiar with Toast? They're a point of sale, right? Point of sale for restaurant, the restaurant technologies, mm-hmm. right? So in April, they panicked. Well, I wouldn't say panicked. They made a decision based on the information they had in April, <laughs> well, right? Where, everybody, right? Yes. When every one of their customers had their restaurant closed. Right. They let off 50% of their staff, about 1,300 people. But they've since recovered because everything shifted to contactless payments. Everything shifted to uh, the delivery app. So they get to play middleman between the DoorDash's, Uber Eats, the Postmates. Mm-hmm. And so they've reinvented themselves. And now they're actually going to um, – their employees – they've actually offered their employees and former employees and current employees the chance to sell shares. Wow. So they're going to sell shares to – 
investors to raise even more money. They didn't say who the investor was, but they're getting uh, you know a, a huge influx of cash to continue to grow. So it's just it completely changed, right? They went from how does this company stay in business possibly in April to the way people interact with restaurants is completely different now. That's amazing. I mean, that's a great success story. Like it could have gone horribly wrong and they managed to figure it out, help their customers. That's great. Well, what do I have in the hopper? Uh, Intuit. You mentioned this at the top of the show. Intuit has won approval for their acquisition of Credit Karma from the US government. We weren't sure if it was going to happen because the Justice Department had an antitrust investigation going given that Intuit makes tax software and Credit Karma makes free tax software. Was this an acquisition to crush their upstart competitor? And apparently not because Credit Karma is going to sell its tax business to Square and that clears the way for this acquisition to happen. Yeah. So Square is going to purchase about 2 million customers, tax customers, right? Now, one question I have, it's only $50 million. That's the value of the biz- that line of business? Like, why didn't anybody else buy this? Like, it seems like a deal of the century. Well, just the right? customer right. list alone, right? Just, just the customer list alone, right? And, yeah. and you're getting people that are already in that credit karma frame of mind. They care about personal finances. There's just a lot of reasons to possibly buy this. Well, now- Okay, here, here's the counterpoint to that. Maybe it's because the people using credit karma to follow the taxes don't have any money because they're using a free tax prep software. Yeah, so they have to fit that into their product line. So if you're somebody like Square that has a cash app- and Square wants their cash app to be a super app. Remember, you can buy Bitcoin in it. You can invest in it. You can do your retirement in it. Now you can run your taxes in it. Right? But the benefit to Square is the average tax return is about $2,000. If you do your taxes inside the Square app, cash app, and you get a tax return, where are you probably going to put that $2,000? Oh, you're going to put it in your Square cash app. Square cash Genius. app. Genius. And so it, I, I cannot believe nobody else like bid this price up. Right. Just for the refunds. Well, because I don't think anybody else has that idea. They don't have the app. They don't have it's that. Super, yeah. But even the other players, like, like how come Amazon or Google or any of these other players, because they're getting in this super, this super app game, like you're, you're going to have the super app that does all these things. And aren't they going to want to be in the tax game as well? Dude, Amazon is just trying to keep up. That's all they're focused on is Christmas. What was the other one you mentioned? Microsoft. Well, Microsoft, Google, Apple. They're just look. They're crushing each other right now. That's their. their so only Square was was there. Hey, I got some news about Square and Zero. They have enhanced their integration and point of sale features for the UK market. So this is just for our UK listeners. Hey, thank you for listening in the UK. We appreciate. I have you. UK news too coming up. Okay, Still- good. <laughs> so uh, you will be excited, perhaps, to hear that Xero has enhanced their integration. You can now give customers the option to pay invoices online with Square. The new integration also creates a daily sales summary invoice in Xero that captures the previous day's transactions in Square. And in addition to the daily sales invoice, Xero automatically creates bank rules when you connect your Square account. Great for the UK folks. So what what else is new for them, David? Before we jump into UK, I'll transition just quickly with Zero. Oh, sure. There's uh, some some bubblings happening about how much cash Zero has, and they're wondering what they're going to use it for. Oh, because they have a lot of cash, right? They have a lot of cash on hand. Like they bought Waddle, uh, Waddle W A D D L E, mm-hmm. right? To, to extend the it was loans, right? Yeah, the small business platform. loans. Yeah. So they're probably going to you know look at other opportunities. And now I was thinking, like, why didn't they buy? 
the tax business from Intuit, mm. from Credit Karma, right? So there's so they had cash to do it. Well, because because so they're not focused on the U.S. market, as we mentioned yeah, at the end of the, our mentioned. last show. Yes, they're they're 150 year race if they wanted to be. In that. <laughs> so I think we're gonna have to keep watching this story because there's a lot of like rumblings. Mm-hmm. There's no thing. The article doesn't say much other than like there's billion dollar companies that could be of interest for zero to buy. Like mm. It's kind of very high level like at that. But getting back to the UK. So Crunch, who's basically an accountancy firm in the UK, and they in a way are more like these ones I say are accounting firms with engineers. Mm-hmm. They've now released a an accounting platform just aimed at the self-employed. So they're calling it Crunch Free. So GL. It's a GL product. Free, mind you. It's There's no... No fee for this. So you can create invoices, you can uh, manage your expenses, you can uh, receipt scan, has online banking feeds, right? It's it's pretty, pretty full featured hmm. for, you know, with a self-employed, right? Or the sole trader. But the way they're going to monetize this is for an additional fee, users can contact experts on the Crunch team who can offer advice and support on run, rage, and trout topics from handling business finances, to becoming just becoming more tax savvy. Uh, so the so, app is a lead gen tool for their services. Their QuickBooks Live service. Mm-hmm. So if you think about Intuit, right now Intuit's charging for their self-employed app, what, nine bucks a month? Or, it, it's almost it's almost free. Right, right? Mar- and, marginal, very, very small amount. Yeah. And it'd be interesting if Intuit, especially in the UK, where obviously zero and there's a lot of players, even, even Receipt Bank has a self-employed product, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's a lot of competition in the UK. Could we see something like QuickBooks Self-Employed being free in the UK? Because they can push them to QuickBooks Live. So Zero has updated their app with HubDoc. Finally, that HubDoc acquisition is showing up inside of Zero. They've injected, that's their word, HubDoc's machine learning capabilities into zero expenses, automating the creation of expenses. They've also made some minor improvements to the account transactions report, such as the ability to see a starting and ending balance for your P&L accounts. So that is uh, taking us back to zero. That's what is new with zero. I've also got an update from FreshBooks. FreshBooks has added accounts payable to their app. So you can upload a photo of a paper bill and you can create a bill from scratch without a paper bill and attach it to a vendor. Once that bill is paid, you can record the payment in your account so you can keep track of what you owe to people. It is available on their premium and select FreshBooks plans only. That's a big jump for FreshBooks because historically FreshBooks has always been about the invoice. Yes. Tracking your time, get invoicing somebody, getting paid, right? For them to cross to that other side, really bolsters up their proof that they're a full-blown GL now. And FreshBooks, again, uh, also has, they're in the news twice because they're also in the UK news. Oh. So they've announced a partnership with Barclays, um, just launching a set. They're, they're partnering with them to market FreshBooks in the UK. Okay, that's all I got. What else should we talk about? We could talk about remote work and virtual headquarters and the future of, like, hey, is Slack the end-all, be-all? We have uh, Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen, the new Treasury Secretary, or going to be anyway. That's cool. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm feeling like it's almost like uh, the Biden administration is exciting like retro feelings in millennials, right? Like I grew up with Janet Yellen. Now she's back. <laughs> it's it's like all of my, all the things I love are coming back. Uh, so so how about remote work? Here, I got this one yes. story about virtual HQs. Do you remember the 
Boomer Summit virtual conference that I did where it was on a virtual platform where you walked around. It was like a video game almost. I jumped in late. I missed everybody, but it was my kids thought I was playing a video game. Yeah. Exactly. So it looked like Second Life, uh, which was the original virtual world kind of thing where people would just go hang out and like you'd have build a house and make friends. Uh, and then people got into multiplayer online role-playing games like World of Warcraft and Ultima and like all these games that just became giant ecosystems of business in and of themselves, just whole worlds of millions of people online all the time playing. And so there's this new class of apps called virtual HQs that are trying to be that for your business. Because if people aren't going to be going to the office, there's like still benefits of the office, right? There's reasons that offices exist and that people want to be in them. So can we create that virtually is the question. And TechCrunch did a great article called Virtual HQ's Race to Win Over a Remote Work Fatigued Market about three of the top, which are Branch, Gather, and Huddle. Branch and Gather you can use now. Huddle is still in stealth. And they're really interesting because Branch, Branch was built by gamers, Gen Z gamers, who are used to like hanging out online with each other all the time, streaming. Uh, and they wanted a way to like hang out in a, in a, it wasn't just like a Slack channel or a discord server. And so they created this, it's like a, it's like a map that you can walk around and you can go like, see where your coworkers are and you can go sit at your desk. And it's, it's very much like a video game top down and you can, uh, chat with people and you can video chat and you can share stuff. And so it's like having a virtual office. It may seem kind of silly if you've never, if you're not a gamer or you've never done anything like this, but my th- feeling is that somebody is going to crack the code on this. They're going to make it like the next Slack and it is going to be a billion dollar company because something missing from Slack, like that I, feeling of like, I come into the office in the morning and I see my coworkers and I can like go talk to them and, and see who they're hanging out with and walk over to somebody's office. Like We want that. And if we can build it virtually, man, that's the best of both worlds. So what's the URL for this? Because because I'm finding a lot of virtual new banks called Branch. <laughs> <laughs> so it's branch.gg, which is the gaming background for good game. Yeah, branch.gg. G is in game. And then gather, the URL is gather.town. So you know these are new apps, right? Because they're using these t- new top-level domains, like .cpa, for instance, right? Oh, all right. so Branch looks like um, that video game Gauntlet. Yeah. Where you get the top overhead view and you exactly. go from room to room. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I see how this is working. So the audio is proximate. They call it proximal. So when you walk over to somebody else's avatar, you can hear them. And if you're out of the room, you can't hear them. Just like you're, if you're in a real office, like the microphones are always on when you're uh, in the, in the virtual world. Uh, Gather looks more like a Final Fantasy RPG. But it's the same idea, right? And so they're top down. They're not virtual 3D. I find that to be a little bit disjointing. And I didn't like the Verbella platform that Boomer used. But uh, I, I think these are worth a try. So get, try branch.gg or gather.town if you're looking for another alternative to a, a Slack or just sitting on Zoom calls all day long. Maybe, David, you can try it at Melio. And are, are these the only three that exist that you know of? No, I'm sure there's more, but this is the three that uh, TechCrunch highlighted. Like, I cannot believe that like, this is not the hottest thing for VCs right now. And the reason being, remember we talked about how much the average employer is saving by having a remote employee? I recall it was $11,000 a year. 
$11,000 a year. So if you're building one of these apps, I mean, what's a seat license for Salesforce? It's like $100 a user or something. Like it depends on the, yeah, it depends on the size of your business, but probably anywhere from 50 to 150, I guess. So that means there's probably room in here to charge $2,000 a year seat licenses. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I think you could easily charge $1,000 a year per seat for something like this. If it worked really well and it gave you even a fraction of the value of an in-person office. This is what I would invest in right now if I were a VC. You just got to pick the right one though. <laughs> I, I, I that's right. That's I, I'm right. not sold just by looking all. at this right now. I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> Somebody it, will it figure feels, it out. Somebody will do it. I think it's the next generation. Yeah. We have a whole generation of kids building on uh, Minecraft. They're building on Ro- uh, Roblox. That's the generation that's going to figure this out. Not, not the current millennials. Here's the best part about this. So the guys who created Branch, they started out building Minecraft servers for people. That was like their first business when they were like 13 years old, 15 years old. And they live in these games that your kids are playing, David. Yes. Minecraft, Roblox. These are virtual worlds where people can create and they they just sit there for hours and hours. So that's the future of work for that generation. Like they're used to it. They're used to collaborating in a virtual world. So somebody's going to figure it out and they'll probably do it because they're the ones who like know what works. It kind of feels Lego-like a little bit. So I mentioned the CPA.com domain, so I might as well just talk about the story that uh, I have yet to follow up on. The AICPA, according to Accounting Today, had a surge in interest that was so large when the .CPA platform launched that uh, it, it, it shut them down and they crashed and people couldn't access the platform. This was earlier in November, uh, but they had resolved the issue within 24 hours and lots of people were happy to get their .CPA uh, domains. So lots of popularity, apparently. I saw that uh, Megan Lefchik, who has been on the show, uh, she got Megan.CPA. That's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about trying to get my first name. Uh, and she was able to do that because she's actually licensed as a CPA firm. And up till now, and I think still, only CPA firms can get these uh, domains. They are opening up on January 15th, the registrations to individually license CPAs. You don't have to have a firm. And then you can uh, get that .CPA. So I might try and get it if uh, it's not taken already. But people are, are getting them, they're using them. I've started to see them come through on emails. Like people are utilizing domain and it's up and it's up and going. I, I still, I think I started a Twitter thread of all these great ones we could have. Like I'm not a .CPA. <laughs> I'd love to get that one. <laughs> Well, but you have to be a CPA to get one. So like, will they let you have it? You know, that's the question. Maybe, Maybe I should try and get it and then give it to you and then we'll get in trouble. We could we do the cloud accounting podcast at CPA or CAP.CPA. <laughs> There's all these things we could do. That'd be so much fun. Uh, but yeah, unless we have to, we have to basically we have to create an, an accounting firm. And then we can, once we have the accounting firm, then we can go get the domain. That's the gist of this. That's right. So uh, that's all the time we've got this week, David. But I, I, I wanted to know if we got any reviews. I have a message from a listener I could share. Yeah, what's the message we got? So Sarah Seagraves wrote to me, I think this was on Facebook. She said, morning, Blake. I would love to pick your brain if you have a moment. After working as an in-house bookkeeper, I opened my own bookkeeping business. I learned bookkeeping in the field, so to speak, and I don't have an educational background in finance or business. BA in French, anyone? I'm considering going back to school to get an associate's degree and maybe eventually another bachelor's. So my question is this, as a bookkeeper and business owner, would I be better served 
by studying account and accounting and finance or general business. I would greatly appreciate any input you have. So Sarah, thank you for writing. Thank you for listening. I am in a similar situation where I majored in music. I have a bachelor's of music, uh, which is completely useless, especially right now. Uh, I'm really glad I didn't stick with music. So I, I can tell you what I did. I thought about going back and getting a master's in accounting so I could sit for the CPA exam. But then I realized that I don't need a master's to do it. So I just went to UCLA and got a a certificate in accounting. Anyone can register for the extension program. And I did the coursework. And uh, it's basically equivalent to a bachelor's of accounting like uh, major. And so I I did that. I had to do some prereqs, which I didn't have uh, in like accounting 101 and all that stuff. But it worked great. Um, And so I would say that if you are going to stay in the bookkeeping world, it really helps to know the accounting and finance. So I would I would do like a certificate program in accounting and finance while you're growing your business uh, and actually be able to use what you're learning in the field. That's the best way to, to learn it. And I don't think that you need to spend a lot of money. I don't think you need to get another degree. All the classes that you need, you can probably find online or at a community college or at an extension program like what I did. If you ask me, degrees are a big scam and it, the knowledge is what you need. And you're, if you're a successful business owner and you know how to sell, you add that knowledge and you're just going to do great. That's my yeah, take. I, I, I think the the lesson here, though, or I have to disagree a little bit, it's just being somebody that doesn't have a degree. I think you can learn general business right, right, by just right. having your own business and, and just the hustle. Like you're going to learn it. And, and most people that are just getting a degree in general business probably are going to make the exact same mistakes if they ever leave college and start their own business. But getting the credential, if you ever want that .cpa domain, you can't get that by having field experience. They don't just gift that out. You have to, you have to, get, you have to check the boxes. You got to get the credits. You got to take the test. You can't get it any other way. She's got the BA. She's got the bachelor's. So like in account, in my opinion, in accounting and finance, uh, bachelor's is what you, is really all you need. Because then you can go and you can get your CPA, you can get your CMA. That's what I was trying to say. I wasn't saying like you don't want the college degree. That's definitely, you got to have that for a lot of things. But but you don't need the master's, right? Like a lot of people go and get master's and even PhDs and I don't, I don't understand why. But well, especially your own practice. I think there's a lot. Of, if, if you want to work your way up the corporate ladder, you probably need an MBA. But if you're starting your own accounting firm and you want to have a CPA firm, you probably don't need the MBA credential. Well, and I love what you said, David, that general business, you're, you're going to learn business by owning a business. And I agree, like 100%. I view that uh, when I started my business, I got an MBA and I got paid to do it. So unless you want to go work for like a giant corporation, you don't need the MBA. If you just want to like work with small businesses, the best way to learn is to do it. So I think that's a great way to end, right? If, if anyone disagrees with me or has anything to add to that, some advice for Sarah, perhaps, you can leave us a review and put your comment in the review. We always appreciate that. Apple Podcasts, Pod Chaser is the other one. And then if you want to leave us a voicemail, we'll play it on the air. I mean, we'll listen to it first and make sure it's okay. They all have been so far. Give us a call at 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040 and leave us a one or two minute voicemail. Would love to hear from you on uh, this or any other topic. And I think that's it, right? Um, if people want to reach you online, David, where can they do that? But I had one more story I f- almost forgot. Oh, okay. What's that? So, so uh, Chris Mackesey on Twitter, uh-huh. he's basically an accountant that just focuses on restaurants. It's a specialty. So he made this the most amazing tax Twitter thread about making a cheese board. 
And so we'll put it in the show notes, like the link to this. It's amazing. Wait, it's wait. A ten, it's a twen, 10 tweet storm of how to create a masterful cheese board that he tweeted out just for tax Twitter. It, the pictures look amazing. And he built it in a very good way for us as accounts and bookkeepers to understand. Mm. But it, it, it's beautiful. So I probably will even use it as our artwork cover in the back. It, it, it's, it's a masterpiece. Like it's one of the greatest Twitter threads of 2020. Well, David, I'm sure you re- retweeted this. So if people want to follow you and uh, see all the stuff you're retweeting in their feed, where can they do that? You can find me on, on Twitter. I'm at David Leary. The same with LinkedIn at David Leary. And I am at Blake T. Oliver. Go ahead and connect with me on either of those platforms. And David, great talking to you. I'm so glad you're back safely from your Thanksgiving travels. Stay healthy and I'll see you here next week. I'm looking forward to some Zoom calls tomorrow. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. I want to tell you about a new workflow solution called Bacotech. Bacotech is a cloud solution that puts CPAs in the middle of their clients' data. Bacotech gathers clients' data and delivers it to CPAs in real time through one login, enabling CPAs to make adjustments to tax returns and client accounting issues as they happen, not at for year end. Bacotech helps CPAs provide their clients with the proactive services they need and increases the firm's efficiency and leads to working less overtime in busy season. To learn more about Bacotech, head over to bacotech.com. Looking to radically increase productivity as a cloud accountant? Introducing ClientHub's Frictionless Workflow, a unique combination of internal workflow seamlessly blended with client tasks and communications. See how a frictionless experience across your team and your clients will save you hours of time. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app. Enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, truly frictionless workflow. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info, and be sure to check out our special stimulus pricing of four episodes for just $100.